Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And it's great to have your company at our new time slot as well. Hope you're enjoying that. And I know that you're going to enjoy our special guest today because he is a man who made his mark in football with the famous Western Bulldogs Football Club and he still hasn't wiped the smile off his face after what happened in 2016. Brian Choco Royal. Choco, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Peter. Lovely to see you. You're looking well. Life, yeah, no, life's treating you well, obviously. Yeah, no, I'm pretty good. I'm, um, I'm still here. I'm healthy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, life's good at the moment. What are you doing? I do. I've got a fair bit going on in my life now. I after I, I finished with um, Melbourne after what 22 years in the coaching industry in 2013. My background was in the building game, so I've gone, gone back into doing a bit of building. So I've got a company with a mate of mine that we. We, we work at so um, that's that's good. I also do a little bit of footy stuff on the side with both Bo Morrison and, and, and AFL Victoria. So uh, is this something is chippy by trade? It, that was something that you um, ran in conjunction with your football career at the time because now in these days of full-time footballers you can't do that sort of thing but that was obviously something as a younger man that you dabbled in as well. Yeah um, obviously I was born and bred in Bensdale and I did an apprenticeship as a carpenter down there, so when I come to Melbourne, the obviously the obvious choice was to continue um, working in the building industry. And and um, back in the eighties and the early nineties, when I played pretty, yes, we had to work full time and then then train for night time. So I had my own building business back then, um, up until I went into coaching in nineteen ninety six. So how many nights did you actually train in those days? We'll touch more on your footy career later, but uh, combining work and training, how difficult was that? Yeah, it was it was difficult, particularly if you were you were in the trade. Um, and most of us out in the western suburbs, we you know we we we, we had a trade or, or whatever basically. But um, it was pretty much four nights a week that we trained. But I was fortunate; I worked for myself, so I could knock off earlier earlier in the afternoon and get to training a little bit earlier. But we're probably we're probably um, cramping in. Yeah, you know, what these guys do all day in three or four hours of a night time. So we still felt that we trained like professionals, but in a shorter period of time. Do you think, Brian, that it was beneficial for you to have a trade? Because we often talk about the modern day footballer and the fact that not only have they got tremendous disposable income, but they've got too much time on their hands sometimes. Was it good to have that other interest outside of footy? Yeah, I, looking back now, no doubt about it. Um, you know, to for me, I was fortunate when I finished playing that I went into coaching, and that 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 happened for twenty years. But um, I've now got a got a, a career to fall back on, from the building point of view. However, even saying that, I would love to be in the system in this day and age, and and to be able to, I guess, train the way the players train and and prepare the way they they do and recover the way they do. I just think it's it's got to make you a better player. Having been involved in the system as closely as you have been at assistant coaching level for so long, do you look at 
these players and you say the system is a good way to go now, but do you look at them and worry about that time that they have on their hands and the fact that every single thing that they do is dedicated towards football and it seems to be all-consuming for a lot of them and, and too much for some of them? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, you can see a lot of the, the a lot of the stuff you read about the, the mental illnesses a lot of the players are having, and and you know social media media has obviously got a fair bit to do with that, and and obviously just lay time, just of just sitting around thinking about things and that sort of stuff, and the pressure of AFL footy is enormous, and it was was when I played, but at least we had the release of going to work for six, seven, eight hours during the day, and you're actually switched off from football. You only started thinking about footy driving to training or driving to games, basically. So I can imagine these days when they have got time on their side, they're sit- sitting around just thinking about you know, their, their performance coming up or the, pre- uh, the previous performance. I'm interested to get your take on social media, something that you touched on there. It wasn't present in your day. You might get a bad review in the paper or you know, maybe there might be one or two television shows where someone might be critical about you. But today... It comes from everywhere, and you must have seen the effect of that with the young men that you've coached over the years. Yeah, it is, and it wasn't. It, it certainly wasn't present at all when I played. And the only social media feedback that we got is, you know, whether it was the the Sun newspapers of a Sunday, basically, or the Sunday Observer back in my time. So, um, I'd, I'd hate to be playing this day and age. Particularly, you know, you want to have a life. You want to be able to go out. You want to be able to enjoy yourself. Um, you know, with camera phones and all that sort of stuff now, it's 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 difficult, I reckon, for the for the players. Um, so yeah, I'd, uh, I'd I'd still um, I still think with 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 what goes on with the social media, the players have got to be very very careful, obviously. But obviously, that's day and age, and they get educated on that. And the problem with social media is that it does have its wonderful qualities, and it's a great news and information tool. But largely, there are sections of social media that are just completely negative. And that's the drawback of the thing. It's interesting. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, and I, for whatever reason, I've been caught up in some of the Bulldog forums and they rate past players and you do get critiqued. And it's interesting how, you know, I haven't played for 30 years, but but um, supporters are still critiquing players within the 70s and 80s and the 90s basically so it's an amazing it's an amazing thing and I can understand you know I do get sucked into reading what people have thought about my past performances and that sort of stuff so I can understand how they get sucked into it how did you go on the forums? Did you get a thumbs up or a thumbs down from oh, most of them? Mostly pretty good. Yeah, well, I would think so after your career, and we'll touch on that shortly. What's your involvement in footy these days, Choco? Uh, Peter, I, um, I'm the director of footy at the Beaumaris Football Club, so that's where I live in Beaumaris in the Bayside area. We play in the Vaffa, so um, what I do at the foot, we're, we're quite a large footy club. We have over 30 teams in, um, in seniors and juniors, I think there's about 37 teams. Uh, so I oversee everything in the senior football program, um, appointing coaches. We just appointed Bluey McKenna as our coach. Um, you know, that was through contacts that, that I had that that um, that got Bluey to our football club. Um, I also um, do a bit of work with AFL Victoria. Um, I coach a Vic Met- Metro senior team. Um, which is uh, which the game happens once a year. Um, uh, this year we play Vic Country, which is coached by Danny Frawley. And that must be a great experience for you, having your own team, because that's something that you wanted, and again, that's something that we'll touch on a little bit later in our chat. But to have your own team there, even if it is only for that very short period, must be great for you and, and your love of footy. Yeah, it is. It's... Um 
I guess because I was starting up my own business with a mate of mine, I, I probably didn't want to go out and coach fully in my own right because I, you need time to do that. And unfortunately, um, the sacrifice that I need to make was probably about my life going forward, my 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 business career. So to do what I'm doing at Bo Morris, that's that's I could fit that in. Um, this just gives me that little bit of a coaching um, a coaching opportunity, albeit only one game. But I, I really look forward to it. Um, you feel like you're giving a little bit back to the game, and um, it's, it's probably about a month's work that I need to put in. All of that intensity that you have when you go into a coach's box, it only happens once a year, but when you close the door behind you, does that intensity return when you're the man with the phone in his hand saying, you do this, you get there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no doubt about that. You know, the hair stands up in the back of your neck and you're competitive and you want to win. And I, I know I know Danny Frawley really well, so this year it's Danny versus me, basically, and I haven't coached against Danny before, so that'll be my motivation um, going into it. But um, interesting you talk about the coach's box. It is a, I was fortunate to work in the AFL for, for 22 years as a coach, and it's probably one of the most intense environments you could ever get. And, um, you know, that that's just given me so many great life experiences, and particularly now being able to go into into the real world, into the workforce, and, and, and put a lot of that sort of stuff in place so I feel um, I feel what I did from that point of view as a coach has, has helped me for the future. Take us inside the coach's box because that is a place where most of us will never go. I've been following footy and mm. been involved in the broadcasting of footy for a long time as you know but I've never been the coach's box on a match day. What's the thing that would surprise me or anyone who walked into a coach's box on match day? What's the thing that we would not expect to see that we would see? I think um, the amount of decisions have, that have got to be made in a short period of time, and I, you know, uh, footy has really changed in in the last twenty years from a from a coaching point of view. When I first started coaching, there was Alan Joyce as a senior coach of the Western Bulldogs, um, and myself as assistant coach. When I finished at Melbourne. Um, Mark Neal was the senior coach, or Mark had been sacked, but Mark was the senior coach, and there was eleven assistant coaches. So you can imagine eleven assistant coaches in the in the one coaches box, um, all wanting to have a bit of a say. So um, you know the communication from that point of view was was critical because you don't want to give mixed messages to players. So I think that's probably the major thing um, is the decisions that have got to be made in a split second. Does it become, Choco, a case of too many cooks, though? If you've got 11 people all trying to have their say and all the information has to go into one funnel and come out the other end, is it paralysis by analysis these days in footy or is there a role for all of those 11 coaches and the associated people who have other jobs around footy? Yeah, there's no doubt. Everyone has a role and I I think um, you're right. Certainly there can't be 11 Eleven voices in the box. Um, certainly, the certainly the head coach has always got the final decision. But probably what he's after, he's after um, observations and solutions to what's happening on at the ground. Then he makes the final call. But everyone does have their certain role. I gather you love the game. To be involved in it for so long, you must love the game. Do coaches have a responsibility to the game? Because the perception of coaches is that if you could find a way that you scored one goal and the opposition didn't score any, you'd be happy because you'd get the win. Do you have a responsibility to the look and the feel of the game and to keep the game the game that we love? Or is it your pure responsibility to win at all costs? Uh, Great question. Um, There's no doubt the coaches just want to win. I've got no doubt about that. They'll do anything... Um, within their power to get the scoreboard the way they want to get it, basically. So, you know, whether that 
keeping the opposition. Mickey Moldhouse was a perfect example. You know, we only wanted to score a goal, one point more than the opposition. That was it. Mm. If we scored three goals, they could score two goals basically, and that's that's how Mick coached. And you know, that's that's I think that's what AFL coaches are doing in this day and age. And you can see now it's even happening in the women's football with the way the scoring's going. Do you like the look of the game at the moment, Choco? I still love it. Yeah, you know, I I guess. Um, because I've had a strong involvement in it, I, I, I totally understand the reasons behind what's going on. So I, I still love the game. I still go and watch it. I still love to analyse what they're trying to do. Um, so I guess I'd probably see it a lot different to a lot of other people. Um, but I do. I, I, I still do enjoy going and watching. What about the tinkering of the rules that goes on these days? And there are all sorts of different committees have been formed, and I see they've got a new one under Steve Hocking now, who is basically, you know, that committee's going to oversee the game. Do you reckon we tinker with it too much, or is it just natural evolution with the way that the game is progressing? Yeah, it's interesting because I just think... I've got no doubt it's natural evolution, and obviously... What the AFL are trying to do, they're trying to clean the game up as much as they can. Obviously, though, you don't, we don't want to see it you know, become um, a non-body con- contact sport because that's what it's always been. But I, I can totally understand um, the reasons why they're, they're changing a lot of the rules, particularly the head over the ball stuff. I I agree with that. You know, you know, looking back in my career, I've got no doubt there was there would have been eight or ten times a year where. I wasn't not that I was concussed, but you you felt you felt a little bit giddy after being hit. You, you know, I only ever got knocked out twice, totally. But there was a lot of times where I I you know I got head knocks and you, you you've seen stars. I guess that's so I totally understand that. And you know I still you still think about the effects that it may have on you down later on in life. So I understand what they're trying to do. Do you feel any of those effects? Because a lot of players are coming forward now. Nicky Winmar is amongst the players who've come forward. Has anything affected you from your time in footy? Um, you know, I'm now 56. I forget things. Do you, is that normal? Is it not normal? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not complaining about it. I, I loved what I did. Um, I've got no doubt um, there is going to be some effects from that, and my, you know, my, my shoulders and my knees are, are feeling the effects at this stage. But, but I don't know. Unless I went and got tested, how mm. is it just just because I'm getting older, I'm forgetting things? I don't know. Well, as someone who's just a little bit older than you. Uh, I can tell you that it's a normal thing <laughs> because the number of times you walk into a room and think, what am I in here for? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, you know, yeah, a part yeah, of just, aging, just part it? of age. So, but I, yeah. listen, I, I don't regret anything that's happened in my career or anything I've done. You know, you know as, as, as we were talking off air, you know, we're blessed to have the careers that we've got yeah. and, and had, basically. So I don't complain. Um, you know, I'm not going to go back to the AFL and any compensation, that sort of stuff, because I knew what I was getting myself in for. Hmm. Well, we're going to talk about that journey and we're going to talk about where it all started on the other side of the break. Brian Royal is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a delight it is to have Brian Choco Royal as my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Choco, you mentioned where it all began in Bensdale. Tell us about uh, growing up in Bensdale. Yeah, um, obviously my whole family. Um, you know, I was born, born um, and bred in Bensdale. Um, 
we come from we come from in town, not not off the farms. Um, but yeah, great a great little place to grow up. Um, I left there when I was I was twenty to, to pursue my AFL career. Um, I was fortunate, as I said before, I barracked for the Bulldogs back in those days. You were zoned; our zone was the Bulldogs. So I um, I happened to I happened to get to the the club that I barracked for. So I couldn't have been any happier. And what about as a kid? Where did you play footy? Were you always a rover because you were a little fella? And you're still a little fella. <laughs> yeah, um, I played. I played with the Bensdale Football Club. My dad, um, my dad coached coached all the junior teams um, in the club. So um, you know, he coached you know, some. You know, Jimmy Edmund, who was a ex captain of Bensdale, Brian Perrins. There was a lot of players who'd played AF went on to play AFL that my dad coached. So it was only natural that I was going to play in the junior program and and then progress. I progressed pretty quickly to the seniors. I played senior football at 15. Um, for Bensdale, and as you said, I was I was quite small. But back then, back those days, I played on the wing, so I was a little bit more protected because I played outside. So when you make that progression into the senior team as a fifteen-year-old, you know the talk that goes around when that happens. Oh, this kid's got it. This kid's got what it takes. When did you realise that you had what it took to get into the big league? Um, probably didn't. It didn't really. It didn't really click until I actually went to the Bulldogs and. Um, and won the best and fairest in my first year, purely because I, growing up, growing up, it was the knock on me with that that I was always too small. So that was my motivation. My motivation was to prove them wrong, basically. And um, you know, I not that I ever had doubts. I, I knew I could play um, because, and I was fortunate. And probably one of the reasons I did as well as I did in my first first year at the Bulldogs and win the best and fairest was because I'd played four or five years of senior football. So I'd played against men. Um, I struggled to, to make all the representative sides in, in the local area, again, because of my size. But um, that didn't affect my uh, motivation. It didn't affect my confidence, basically. So I was, I was really fortunate... Um, with the upbringing that I had, and my dad gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of great coaching, so that no doubt held me in good stead to go into the Bulldogs. It's some achievement to win a best and fairest in your first year. Um, Charlie Sutton medal, all the history that goes along with it. Was it daunting at all when you first walked into that room and looked at some of the familiar faces, you know, some of the guys that you may even idolise? A lot of the guests on this program have said they look around and, and it feels like it's not actually them sitting in the room. Was it surreal to you when you first did it? Oh, Absolutely. And purely for the fact that I barracked for the footy club, so I knew every player. You know, I one of one of my one of my great great memories early days is is um, I, I reckon it was after my third or fourth game. I went to a party at, at Jeff Jennings's house. Jeff was the captain of the Bulldogs, and you know we had a bit to drink. And I actually stayed the night. And I remember ringing my dad the next day, and I said, "Dad, you wouldn't believe where I stayed last night." I stayed with Jeff Jennings, yeah. you know, and just little things like that it was just unbelievable. And you know, to play for the club that you barrack, but also play for play with the some of the players you idolised was was a dream come true for me. So um, yeah, it was 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 really exciting. You couldn't be around Footscray without EJ's influence. Mm. Do you remember the first time you met EJ, and did he break every bone in your hand when he shook your hand? Yeah. Um, for the first three years, I, as I said, I was a, I was a, when I come to Melbourne, I was a carpenter. So the footy club employed me as the maintenance carpenter at the, at the Western Oval, which was the name back then. So I had a lot of opportunities to meet the great EJ. And yeah, like everyone says, the first handshake, he, he, he nearly breaks your hand and, and headbutts you because he pulls, it, <laughs> pulls himself towards, towards you, basically. Um, 
but I was really fortunate because I, I played a lot of state footy and, and Teddy was always heavily involved in the state games that I was a part of and you know it wasn't only a, a legend of the game but he's a great, great character to be around. State footy was huge in those days, wasn't it? I went on a few trips with teams that you were on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just phenomenal, the the atmosphere that it created. I don't think you can really describe it to people who weren't part of it, but there was just such a bond between the players in those days. Yeah, it was. It was, I mean, for me it was, yeah, it was like playing grand finals every time mm. you played a state game, you know, and um, when when I played state footy, we, we either went to Subiaco, and played um, WA team over there, or you went to to Footy Park and played played Adelaide at Footy Park. So they're all all sold out, all sold out venues. Um, you know, ninety percent of them were were the home supporting the home side. Um, so to be a part of those sides, I I've got all the photos in in my office at home, and and people still walk into my office and look at some of the players that you play with. You know, Ablett's, Lockett's, Danny Flawley's, Dale Waitman's. Justin Madden, uh, Simon Madden, all those types of players. People can't believe some of the legends that that played in those games, and and the coaches that you're coached by as well. Is that your great footy memory? Given the fact that you weren't involved in a premiership team, is that the memory that stands out above all else to play with those blokes? Yeah, it does. It, it certainly, it's certainly one of them. Um, yeah, you know, we, you know, I was, I didn't play in a lot of finals footy, but certainly the 80, 85 final series for the Bulldogs was, was unbelievable. Um, given that we got to the preliminary final and got close, so close to a grand final, but certainly the state state games were fantastic because we travelled away together. Yeah, you know, we we went out together, we travelled home, mm. and you know, I had a. This is this is, um, how close you get to some of the players. I had a Christmas party. Um, we have a Christmas party at my place every year. Dale Waitman. Yeah. Um, was at my last Christmas party and purely flew was there only for the fact that we were teammates for so many games at state footy, you know, and that's that's 30 years ago. And yeah. that, that, that friendship has, has remained since then. You mentioned some of the great names you played with. I reckon that he, at his time, Flea was the first picked in the Victorian team every year. He was an unbelievable state player. Yeah, oh, he was sensational. Um, yeah, and I was fortunate enough to be able to be able to rove with him. Basically, in those days, you changed out of a forward pocket. So, um, yeah, he was a, a game. We mentioned my size before. He was smaller than I was, hmm. and to achieve what he achieved for his size was phenomenal. You mentioned that eighty-five final series. I'll get to that in a moment. But just before that, when you first got there, the club was struggling, and that had been the story for Footscray, as it was known for a long time. Mm. It was a hand-to-mouth existence in lots of ways. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Um, um, it was always. It was always seen to be hard work. But I guess we were really fortunate. In nineteen eighty-four, Mick Moldhouse turned up. And Mick, Mick played for Richmond in 1983. I actually played on Mick the, the year before. He turned up and he just changed the perception of the place. He made us walk tall. He made us feel pride about wearing the jumper. Um, I've got no doubt, you know, as much as, yeah, we were, we were the underdogs because financially we were always struggling. But certainly, you know, certainly what Mick did made us believe that we could do anything. And, and yeah, we nearly did in 1985. Should you have played in the grand final that year? Yeah, we were three quarter time. I think we were twenty odd points up. So yeah. um, Lee Matthews, Lee Matthews was just about done and dust and come off the bench. I think in the last quarter and kick three goals, and that was a difference. If Lethal didn't play that game or um, could have been held, yeah, it might have been a different story. But that's history. 
You don't spend much time thinking about that. I suppose there's not much point in it, but do you cast your mind back to that day every now and then when you're sitting there and having a quiet moment and thinking, oh, gee, if only we'd done that or if only no. we'd done that a bit better? Not really, Peter. No, I was, you know, I guess, you know, you do, the, you, yeah, you, you look at grand final day every year and um, you probably, um, you look at the players and you, you probably, not that you have regrets, mm about not playing a premiership but you know you'd love to understand what the feeling was like I guess yeah wonder it's, what it's like out there on that yeah, day yeah yeah so you, you are there's no doubt you're jealous of them yeah but um, you know again there's a lot of people who hadn't hadn't done some of the things that I've done so you know I've got to be proud of that who was the bloke that you most admired who got everything out of himself at the Western Bulldogs not necessarily the best player yeah. that you played with, yeah. but a guy who just squeezed every last drop out of the lemon. Um, you remember Andrew Purser? I do. Andrew Purser, um, a really undersized... Andrew, Andrew probably would have been only a, a six-foot-three, six-foot-four ruckman. He was, he was certainly that player who I felt that just did everything within his power. Um, it was... He, he was an unbelievable person. Would do anything for you. Um, if anything, he was a he was a he was a perceived gentle giant, but that wasn't the way he played. But certainly, he he got the best out of him. I think one of the other ones, and he's a great mate of mine, Stevie Wallace. Stevie is yeah. the father of Mitch Wallace, um, and Stevie was a super player. Um, and, and one of nature's gentlemen too. Oh, absolutely, and and has and has gone on um, and and become a quite a successful businessman in his own right. But he's, I got there's there's no doubt that um, we drove each other. Um, he made me a better player. I made him a better player. Yeah, you know, we trained together. We trained hard together. We did all our extras together. Um, and he's one that I really admire even to this day, given that the what he's done in his life since football. Given the fact, Choco, that you love the club and you love the teammates that you played with, it must have been a very difficult time when everything got so bad that the Bulldogs were nearly out of existence. That must have been a very painful time for someone who loved that football club. Yeah, it was a... In 1989, it was a, it was a difficult, I don't know, two months, six weeks, two months, where we all thought we were, we were going to play for this, this combined Fitzroy Footscray team basically so you actually started you you know I remember a fair period of time where you're actually thinking about is it going to happen um, what's it going to be like um, should I go and play for another team you know I had, I had offers from West Coast and Collingwood at the time to, to move clubs you know so it was it was a pretty pretty nerving time um, back then Thank God, you know, Peter Gordon come along. Mm-hmm. Terry Wheeler was appointed the coach, and the, and the club really took off from that point. And Irene Chatfield, who yes. will forever be remembered as part of the history of that football club. And I was pleased to see that she got some recognition on grand final day in 2016 as well, because you've got to think those names you mentioned, definitely without them, the club wouldn't be around. But without her, I don't think it would be around either. Yeah, it was interesting that day... Um, the footy, there was a rally at the football ground on a Sunday and, you know, I'd never seen so many grown people crying, mm. basically, and, and Irene was a part of that day. Um, so, you know, you, you think back now and what certainly what happened in 2016, you know, this club wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those people and for what happened, you know, in that real short period of time. And people got to remember, Peter Gordon was quite a young fella back then and, and what he did was, was quite enormous. Um, to be able to get the club not only um, to stay afloat, but but 
then become reasonably successful side through the 90s. It must have almost restored your faith in human nature that something like that could happen because this was two minutes to midnight for the football club. They were that close to going out of existence. And then this amazing swell of support that came from not only the Footscray Mm. supporters, but football supporters in general who didn't want to see this precious football club going to the wall. You... um and you look at Fitzroy now, yeah. and, you know, we could easily have been Fitzroy. Um, and I know Fitzroy, uh, you know, they they align with the Brisbane Bears, or, I'm uh, sorry, uh, with, 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 with Brisbane, um, the Lions, basically. And, um, you know, that could have been us, easily could have been us, if not for those people we spoke about. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about your career post-playing days and and the success that you had as an assistant coach and uh, how close you came to the top job so many times. Brian Royal is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. And they are serving families across Victoria for decades now and you can visit tobinbrothers.com.au to find out more or call 93737000 for more information more with Choco after the break you're listening to this is your sporting life with Peter Donigan and Brian Royal is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. I, I say Brian Royal, but I don't think I've ever called you anything but Choco. Does anybody call you Brian these days, or is it all Choco? No, nah, um, that's all people know. Even, even my, in my working life now, um, you know, people will realise that you're on site, and they start call, they'll call you Brian to start with, but by the end of the job, they're starting to call you Choco. So. Who was so the first was, one who gave you Choco? Well, basically, the nickname come from my basketball coach in Bensdale. That was Chocolate Royals, mm. um, so that was the reason I got got Choco. Um, I come to Melbourne and and I just followed. Basically, I had little old ladies baking me chocolate royal cakes, giving me packets of chocolate royals, and it just it was it was amazing. And it happened every year. The old ladies would be at the end of the race at training. And here's a chocolate royal cake, and it just went on from basically from there. But um, yeah, no one calls me Brian these days, Peter. Very underrated biscuit, the chocolate royal uh, choco. <laughs> yeah. uh, m- my father had a grocer shop, and um, it used to be in the days where uh, you would sell biscuits from tins. Yeah, yeah. And the chocolate royals were always the ones that got raided out the back a little bit more. Dad was always <laughs> saying, there doesn't appear to be as much stock in these biscuits as I thought there was going to be. Anyway, back to footy. When a coaching job came up for so long, every single time your name was mentioned, did you? When was the closest that you got to getting a senior job? Um, it's probably a couple. Um, I went for the the Fremantle job. Um, actually, yeah, I went for the the Fremantle coaching position. Um, Chris Connolly got that that job. Um, that was a great experience. Uh, so in the end, it be, you know, I got down the last interview, which was out of me and Chris, basically to get the position. He got the job. But again, it was an, un, going for AFL coaching positions, they're unbelievable experiences. Yeah, that was that was twelve a 12-hour interview, basically. Okay. Um, what happens in a 12-hour interview? What do you talk <laughs> about over 12 hours? Well, pretty much we, we obviously had to fly to Perth and do it in Perth. But you go through a lot of – you go through um, – you know, the media side of things, how would you run the media side of things? Obviously, you, you've got your football program, all that part of it. You're doing psych tests. A psych test takes a couple of hours to do. Um, the, end of the, the end of the day was to sit down with the board and just generally have a chat to the board, basically. But you think about anything that happens with a football club, you're, you're basically presenting on how you would run that. 
So does it come down to players and, and playing stocks and you say to the football club, <clears throat> I don't think he's got a position here. If I was coach, this guy will not be at the football club. I think we should move him on. Does it actually come down to things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so certainly when you're, you're presenting the football part of your, um, your presentation, you know, obviously your game plans and structures and styles and all that sort of stuff are a big part of that, but certainly a list analysis is also huge. So again, the, um, the work you have to have to do to to get to that stage is quite enormous. So it's an enormous um, and and draining experience to to do. But you know, as I said before, it's it's an unbelievable experience. What does it do to you as a person? What, how does it make you grow as a person to go through that experience? I oh, just, I guess, from my point of view, as again, you, you, you've been put in a situation where basics an executive. You're getting interviewed as an executive, basically, position. And um, to be able to not only sit there and present, but also have to prepare for the presentation, it it prepares you for anything you're, you're going to do in life, basically. So, yeah, there's no there's no challenge that I don't think I could do to this day, given what I went through for, I think I went for three or four senior coaching positions. How long does it take you to prepare for something like that, Chogger? I good month six weeks hmm. you know um back then back then too when we presented the football stuff you you got to edit vision basically you're editing vision of, of this is the way we want to play so you'd show highlights of of your style trying to use clips that, that they've had um and back in those days too it was a bit of vhs stuff so yeah. it was that so it was cut and cut and copy basically with two vh vh um s um tapes basically so it took a fair bit of preparation you said three or four jobs you went for. As it got to the third one and the fourth one, did the thought ever cross your mind, why am I not getting these jobs? Or did it just come down to the fact that there was someone who was maybe a bit better qualified, someone who presented a bit better? What were your thoughts when it kept on getting close mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. over the line? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's no doubt about that. I think if if I did it again, I'd do it differently. Certainly, I jumped at every opportunity I wanted to be a senior coach. I jumped at every opportunity to have an interview. But I, you look at some of the coaches these days; they're 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 actually um, not putting their hand up. Um, so I be, basically, I reckon I I probably put my hand up too much um, mm. because I was so desperate to coach. I felt I was I was ready to coach, um, but in the end, I probably oversold myself. So do you think your papers actually got stamped towards the end oh, of no it? No doubt about that, Peter. Yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. perception was there, look, he's a terrific candidate, mm. but he hasn't got that job previously, and he missed out on that one as well. So we'd be taking a big chance to yeah, give Yeah, there's got to be a reason for that. That's probably what they're saying. And I, I think, too, the other thing is it had come up a little bit as the, my lack of team success. Um, and certainly even as a coach, I'd been involved in, in grand finals as a coach, but we hadn't won premierships, and I think that, that means a lot to, um, to to football clubs. Do you reckon you could have done it? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I got No doubt I could have. You know, um, you know I, I think I, um, I know the game really well. Um, you know, one of my great strengths is my work ethic. Um, I think I'm really good at building relationships. You know, I get on well with people. Um, I can still have hard conversations, but but certainly, I think I've, I've got I had what it what it took. But again, you've got to get that opportunity. And you look at the likes of Clarko, who spent so much time yep. as an assistant coach. Yep. Yep. Don Pike, who takes Adelaide to a grand final last year, yep. a lot of time 
in the jobs that you had. And yeah, it yeah. seems as though that assistant coach background would have stood anyone in very good stead. I think I think now, it's certain, certainly the perception's changing a little bit. Yeah, because it used to be the glamour candidate, yes, didn't it? Yes, it was, yeah, yeah. But now it's the wheel has turned to someone who's been in the system for a long time and understands the system and can work it. There's no doubt about that, Peter. And I, yeah, and that's why I'm wrapped when, when you know, you, you see a Don Pike get an opportunity, you know, an Alan Richardson... He's a perfect example. Alan went for a lot and missed out on a lot. Finally got the job at St Kilda. You know, he's killing him as a coach. So as a senior coach, you have to be a lot more, and I've spoken to guys who've been senior coaches, you have to be a lot more than someone who moves people to a certain part of the field. You are, you mentioned the word executive. You're almost the chief executive of the football club in lots of ways. You're a psychologist. Um, you're a father figure to lots of players. Well, basically, you're a manager of people. Yeah, you know, you've got you've you've got eleven assistant coaches. You've got to manage. You've got the playing group. You've got to manage. You've got to be able to delegate. Yeah, and what the good coaches do, that's what they 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 have trust in the people who work for them, basically, and um, delegate and give them responsibility. Obviously, you obviously um, you've got to um, you've not not you've got to allow them to grow in their role, but you've also got to. Um, given the responsibility to be able to do that. Of the coaches you worked under, the senior coaches, who had the most influence on you? Um, it's really interesting. Um, I worked I worked under, oh, I can't remember now how many senior coaches. I would have had six or seven senior coaches because a few of the coaches had been sacked at the clubs I'd been at too. So yeah. I've been at five clubs and I reckon there would have been seven or eight coaches. Um, Neil Craig wasn't the senior coach at any of those clubs until he was a caretaker at Melbourne after Mark Neal got the sack. He's clearly the best person I'd been involved in from a coaching point of view. Um, yeah, there's, I've got no doubt he'd mallowed a little bit from his Adelaide days, but he's a, he's a attention to detail and, and cover everything off was outstanding. Um, I still got a lot of time for Terry Wallace. I coached with Terry for nine years. Terry was an unbelievable match day coach. Terry is as good as I've ever seen in the coach's box game day. He never got flustered, rarely got angry, um, managed his people really well, um, could motivate and get the players to to play, basically. Um, yeah, so I hold Terry in high regard as well from that point of view. We're talking about the man management aspect of it. Neil Craig has been a guest on this program. I asked him what his great achievement was, and he got very emotional about the whole Tyson Edwards-Andrew yeah. McLeod mm. situation. He said that was one of the greatest things that he did in footy. And that is away from winning a game of football. Yeah. That's away from moving the magnets on the board. That is something to do with life and relationships. Mm. And that was just so proud for him. Yeah, he's um, he's a, new, a unique individual, Craigie. He's yeah. um, really deep thinker, and you know I've never worked with anyone who, you know, I thought I worked hard. You know, and I think there'd become a, a time when we're at Melbourne together. I think we had a competition, so you could rock up to work the earliest. You know, I'd get there at six o'clock in the morning. He'd be sitting <laughs> at his desk, you know, um, and that's that was just Craigie. I don't think he knows any other way, and and clearly that's the reason he's still involved in sport. You know, he's over in in, in England at the moment. You know, working I think in rugby union. Mm. So you know, he's 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 a freak in what he <clears throat> he's a freak in what he does. He loves the game. You love the game. We can hear that from the way you're talking. Have you ever seen people who are a career people who don't necessarily love the game? Have you, have you encountered people who you think don't necessarily love the game but see what they're doing as a career path? Yeah, no doubt. What do you make of them coming from the position that you were in and you are in yep. as someone who loves footy? Did that sit well with you? No, it didn't. 
No, I didn't because I think there's there's different reasons too why people want to be involved. Some of them want to they want they want to build their profile. Okay, some of them might be in it for financial reasons. But as you said, I and and maybe maybe it was one of the reasons I I didn't I didn't get a senior job because I am so passionate about the game, and I am quite emotional when it comes to talking about footy. Mm. We're going to take our final break, and then I want to talk about something that will be emotional for you. It was emotional for every Western Bulldog supporter what happened a couple of years ago and, and just how you enjoyed the day because even those of us who don't barrack for that football club rated that day as one of the greatest in Australian football. We'll find out how a grand final day was for you. Choco, after the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Back to wrap it up with Brian Royal on the other side of this break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Hope you've enjoyed the chat with Brian Choco Royal as we come to the end of our chat. Choco, I mentioned that great day, 2016. You were obviously there. Tell me, did you get a tear in the eye at any stage? Oh, absolutely, Peter. It was was probably a day, certainly a day I'll never forget. Um, I was fortunate to be involved in in a lot of things that day. I I went to a breakfast um, at the Hyatt. Um, um, I got up and spoke, and and I become emotional. You know, as you as you can tell, I'm an emotional I'm an emotional t- type of person. Um, so from there, we we walked to the ground, and it was just an unbelievable experience to be able to um, to be able to, to 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 walk to a grand final and see so many proud Footscray people, Western Bulldogs people. Um, I've been to a lot of Bulldogs games. I never. Never wear any bulldog colours. I certainly had my scarf and my cap on that day. Um, I was really proud to be a part of the day. Um, I wasn't expecting us to win, and people might think that's strange, but I'd been to so many preliminary finals as a player and as a coach, and and we'd never got over the line. I I probably felt the same was going to happen that day. I thought Sydney were going to be um, probably more experienced and probably beat us up, um, but to get the result. Was was out of this world, you know. I was I was with with my wife and some really close Footscray people, Western Bulldogs people. Um, so to to enjoy the the day with them was was sensational. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able, able to go to the the after function at um, uh, that the the, foot, the footy club had on, um, which was a, which was an unbelievable night once again. You know, we celebrated there. We we. We were again. We went. Um, a group of past players met at Luke Darcy, one of Luke Darcy's pubs, and I think we stayed there till about three o'clock in the morning. Then went to the casino. And Dougie wouldn't have been involved in that, would he? I uh, probably was, yes. <laughs> but it was, but it was fantastic for past players, you know, to be to be a part of that sort of stuff. And I couldn't, I couldn't have been um, any prouder to be a, a supporter and a, a past player of the footy club on that day. When was the moment you knew you had it? Was it Tom Boyd's goal in the last? Yeah, quarter? probably about five minutes ago, I reckon. Yeah. You know, like um, that was, yeah. You know, I just felt throughout the course of the day, it's, it, it just felt to me, when's Sydney going to come back? When are they going to come back? Because I just felt, I just never felt comfortable until that period, because the expectation for me wasn't great. As footy supporters, we're all optimistic. We all think that we're going to see that moment. Did you ever have periods in your life, playing or post-playing, that you thought, "I'm never going to see"? I'll be real honest, this. Peter. I never ever thought I'd see it. Yeah. Like a lot of other Footscray and Western Bulldog supporters, are just not that we we were, we were never good enough. But it was just like we were. I think 
you know, we'd made preliminary finals and we just, for whatever reason, we just couldn't get to the next step. We got to the next step, but I still didn't think it was capable. And you look back now and you go, it's still, it's still like it's a dream. Mm. You know, it still doesn't seem real to me. And I'm sure people have come up to you, Choco, in the time since knowing your association with the great football club. And they've said those words, I can die happy now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, I know people are going crook at the club at what happened last year, but unless you're involved in the club intimately, you don't understand the the, the thoughts that go around in people's heads. And, you know, um, it wasn't, it, it didn't seem to be possible what happened. So I can understand the players um, probably dropped me off last year because of the enormity of what happened the year before. Yeah, and I used the analogy many times last year when we were discussing the Bulldogs and the <laughs> fact that they weren't going as well as yeah. a lot of people expected, of Sir Edmund Hillary. Now, I don't know how many times he climbed Everest, but I reckon the first one was probably the best one. And I reckon that's probably what the Bulldogs players went through last year. And they're entitled to. That is human nature. They'll never top that moment. Even if they had won the flag in 2017, yeah, yeah. it still wouldn't have topped 2016. Absolutely. And I can, you know, the Bulldogs supporters, I can imagine them every time they would have seen a player, the playing group, you know, the, the elation that they would have put towards the players because of, you know, they've been able to achieve their dream as a supporter to see the club win a premiership which which didn't didn't seem possible prior to that how many games will you get to see this year Jocko? yeah um i you know friday night sunday games because of my involvement with my, my local mm. footy club um i'm fortunate that i now i'm not coaching i i'm i'm able to get back to the footy club and go to a lot of functions i've got a function next tuesday next tuesday night um so that's what i'm really um I'm wrapped about now that that I can actually I'm really feeling a part of the footy club again because I'm not associated with any other AFL clubs. Well, as someone who sat there at ground level doing boundary riding for a lot of the time when you were playing, I remember the number 33. I remember your courage and your skill over 199 games, and you are a part of the history of that football club that led them to that day in 2016. It's warriors like you who have gone before who can take pride in that day, and you certainly do, I can tell that. It's been a delight to talk to you. Thanks, Peter. It's been a pleasure from my point of view too. Brian Royal, best known as Choco, the Western Bulldogs Footscray champion from days gone by. Great to have him on. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And don't forget, you can catch us same time, the new time, next week, right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.